Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Morang. Well, hello. This is a this is a two-in-one edition of the Blazer's Edge podcast. Two-in-one? What do you mean by that? The Blazers are two and oh, one. the Blazers are two and one. I thought you meant like two and one, like you're going to get two plays oh, in, two you know, one. in one no. shot clock or something There's like two that. And one. I get it. The Blazers are two and one, and we off to a rousing. Subject. And we are going to tackle this podcast with the same effort and energy we want to see every night from Hassan Whiteside. Can we do that, Dan? There we go. I like. All that. right. Okay. I I like it even better if it's like an all four quarter Kent and Bazemore podcast. Well, we're gonna we're gonna t- tackle this one at a time, <laughs> piece by piece. So okay. we have real basketball to talk about. We have actual uh, season games to talk about. Three games have Ooh. taken place so far. The Den uh, the Denver Nuggets came in. It was a tough team to my eye. It looked like a team that was used to playing together playing against a team that wasn't used to playing together. Uh, Blazers dropped that one, uh, one hundred eight to one hundred. Then they bounced back against Sacramento, and then just tonight, they squeaked out a win in Dallas. So with three games under their belts, what are some of your observations about what you've already seen? Uh, I, I want to be nice about this, but I'm not going to can. The three-point defense is awful. Like, not like, ah, well, they'll figure it out, and hopefully they'll get it. I haven't seen much change through three games. Um, so what exactly is happening <clears throat> that you see? They're getting beaten transition a lot. Uh, they're losing guys in transition. They're not picking up the guys that matter the most. Um, against the Mavericks tonight, for example, like losing Seth Curry, like they, let's say it's a three on four and Mavs have numbers. There's certain guys that you can, you can give a little more room to. The 45% three-point shooter is not one of those guys. And it's it's a mixture of certain things. Obviously, scouting reports play into it, but I don't think that's necessarily it. I think it's more of guys just not knowing who's going to be where, who's picking up what, how much you can trust somebody. And throughout these, these couple of games, I've seen a, uh, a lot of when a guy blows an assignment, not a, not a kind look to a teammate. It's, it's, it's not the, my bad, we got mixed up, we got cross wires, we'll pick that up next time. It's more of a, man, what the hell are you doing? Like, palms up in the air, like, you're supposed to be out there. And to his credit, Zach Collins, when those situations have, have appeared, has looked around and been like, you know, if he finds somebody open, nobody's closing out, he's like, screw it, I'll be the one. Like, and he runs the close out on guys. And that kind of effort is, is, is wonderful to see from him because he's kind of like, he's kind of the, the defensive linchpin now, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, <laughs> After tonight's mm. game, we'll have to we'll discuss that in a few <laughs> about yeah. what's going on. Um, what's going on with Zach? And also, in general, I would like to talk about some of the individual performances. But as a team, so you say that what you're seeing is, uh, I believe you had talked about earlier, if not tonight, you had talked about uh, you missed, you know, just missed assignments, um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, play. Miscommunications on screens, uh-huh. uh, like like who's like when you're supposed to fight over, when you're supposed to fight through. Um, switching when the other guy isn't thinking you're switching. Um, I think a big part of it is is um, Whiteside is reluctant to step outside the paint, and and again, I don't have any insight into what Coach Doss is telling the team to do 
specifically, so it's hard to pick those things apart who's supposed to be exactly where. Um, but I don't think that they necessarily want him dropping to inside the paint when the pick-and-roll action is significantly above the three-point line. Like, that's going to leave a lot of space. So um, filling it, figuring out how and where those, those things need to change is a little bit difficult, but the end result is there's been a lot of open threes. I mean, the Mavericks tonight took 50 threes, and if they had hit a lot of open looks, and the same was true of the Kings in the first half of that game, those games could be wildly different. But let's not forget, the first part of that, that Kings game, the Kings looked like they they may have done some things. And if they were able to hit those open transition threes, could have been an entirely different result. Yeah, I want to talk about the first part of that Sacramento game, but not yet because I want to talk about the uh, three-point defense. Yeah, it's pretty obvious that some <laughs> things need to happen. I don't know how much of it will be just them getting used to each other and being more effective and faster in their communications, uh, mm-hmm. building that trust that you're saying. Like, you know, like everybody knew where Chief and Aminu were going to be because they played together for so long. It takes a while to build all of that up. Um, I went to go see, like, just how bad the Blazers' three point defense was because when, you know, watching the last few games, it feels like they're like the absolute worst. Good news, not the absolute worst. They are uh, 23rd in how many, um, what they are, the percentage points they are allowing from three for their opponents. So, you know, opponent three-point percentage is 38.7%. That's number 23rd. That's a 23rd. big number, though, Sarah. Yeah. 30, it's 39%. You want to know who's the worst? Oh, yeah. No, it's wonderful. And they are getting... Golden State Warriors are allowing 51.6% on threes. Should we just end the podcast there? Because that, I just feel, I feel like that's like a a drop the mic walk away moment. Yeah, no. 51. For a team that has, in your words, torch, absolutely torched the league from three, for them to be getting, Letting, allowing fifty one six percent, fifty one point six percent is just—I don't know what it is, but it's a thing I'm going to just sit here and grin about. <laughs> and it's only been three games, so limited right. sample size, teams are playing, pace. All that but kind of to your point earlier, Starting they're also later. allowing a lot, so they're twenty six yeah, in the they're... lead in, the, in just three points attempts allowed, thirty nine point seven. So the Blazers are allowing forty threes a game. They're allowing thirty nine percent. Not sustainable. Like that's <laughs> not no. if they're like, returning it, it, to the finals. <laughs> yeah, no, like that that that's the thing that I mean, those numbers need to each come down by five percent. So what do you see? Bare what do you, what can they build on that you've seen? I wish I could say. Um getting back in transition is a big part of that. Um and that's kind of a strange thing because the Blazers, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, have been a very poor offensive rebounding team. Um that, and that's kind of, you know, you heard shots kind of coming into the season and talking about Whiteside and playing Collins and Whiteside together, being bigger uh, in that vein. And they, they haven't been able to really get on the glass. So if they're not getting on the glass and they're not getting in transition, that's like that's like a double whammy. Um, the other part of it is they just, just got to build that chemistry. And obviously the Collins injury is going to force guys to be in different positions and be in different places um, that they wouldn't be otherwise. Uh, I mean, the thing is, like, if you're counting on Pow to kind of correct that, that's kind of problematic, right? Um, yeah, it's 
it's going to be tough for this team. And we talked about this coming into the season, like the whole, the whole bonding thing and growing together. The, the, the big part of that is understand, not only understanding where guys are going to be, but trusting that guys are going to be where you understand that they're going to be. Right. And I haven't seen a, a long stretch of that yet. And building towards that is it, it may take a while. The the best thing that I have seen that the Blazers can build on is, I guess, more of a soft skill or more of the intangibleness. Energy. Energy and just the willing to gut it out. Like that yeah. first, we talked, we brought up that Sacramento game a, a minute ago. That first half of that Sacramento game, I didn't even know what Ooh. I was watching. I didn't, it, like, it didn't, it wasn't the same players I was used to. I wasn't seeing any plays that I recognized. The spacing on the floor was completely different. I mean, they were doing the same dribble handoffs that they always do, except for out of those dribble handoffs, they were getting nothing. Like, Dame no, and CJ were no getting no extra. They weren't even getting an extra yeah. inch. And it was I was just like, where's all this space coming? Gonna, you know, that all these shooters were going to make all this space. And it just felt so mm-hmm. crowded in there in that first half. But to their credit, they stuck it out. And they tried some different things. They were open-minded about who was going to be on the court together. And they they worked it out well enough to, uh, you know, come back, get in control of that game. And they had that game well under control. Then again against Dallas. They stuck it out. They were down 19 points. And they, you know, could have been like, you know, it's early in the season. We'll, you know, we'll figure it out. Dan, you know, then mm-hmm. Zach goes out, gets injured. They could have given up. And they didn't. So... For a team that, like, is going to need so much chemistry building, you know, the fact that they were able to gut it out, I think, is an intangible that we can hang on to, even if it's, you know, intangible. <laughs> no, no, I think it's a, it's a good point, because we talk about continuity a lot, and the continuity of, obviously, Stotts, Lillard, and Cole, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's that's the foundation, that's the building block. And what happened tonight? Who carried this team tonight? Dame had two points in the first half of 26 in the second CJ had a, a rough like first five six minutes and then he just kind of got going, but they're they had energy guys like you deep, were saying earlier. Yes, they had Zonia, uh, they had Bazemore, Hood like the Hood sustained him in the early going and then had a couple of other you know contributory plays that were just that's what they needed. Bazemore taking the charge. You had these plays that just kind of popped up and just enough. Like they had the big run. To, to get the third quarter. After that, it was just kind of just good basketball. They were just not like trading baskets, but 5-0, 4-0, 6-0, you know, little tiny spurt runs that kind of got them in, and they never let the Mavericks really put it together. Every time Luka or KP hit a shot down the closing stretch, Damon Whiteside came down and hit the pick and roll and got it right back for him. They just traded and traded and traded and traded. And their offense and the literal MVP-level production that they're getting from their leader has been enough to sustain them against the Kings and the Mavericks. Now, against the Nuggets, it's not there because they have the continuity, they have the star power. They they were able to expose Whiteside in, in a position with Jokic because he can make him come out, right? And, and the Blazers don't have necessarily all their counters in play because they're still working through those things. But it's, like, it, it's the old Avengers line, you know, you know, we have a Hulk. Well, we have a Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. And and he can cover up. Like, he is the one of the more, like, ultimate potpourris in the NBA. <laughs> like, he can cover up a lot of things. And that's 
That's just something you just can't get. Through. So are you worried about at all? I mean, again, early in the season, but are you worried at all about like, especially in that Dallas game, you know, it's such a, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, the Blazers low assist numbers and how CJ mm. is an isolation player. He's an excellent isolation player. Damian Lillard, mm-hmm. isolation player, excellent isolation player, you know, and we're right back to where the Blazers have always been with, you know, a low assist rate and well the thing i always say is we don't want them to get assists just for the sake of getting assists but Mm -hmm. if they have to carry the team how long is is that going to be sustainable but what i've seen in these few first three games are flashes of other guys like you were saying rodney hood was able to carry the team during that first half while everybody else was struggling do you see the potential of of a, a greater potential than you've seen in the past of having other players who can carry them when uh dame or cj need a break or are not able to do their regular thing yes and when we talked about this when it came to hood that, was that last week or the week before where I said the, the baseline for production for forward mm-hmm. and important has been mm-hmm. low. Well, Hood's going to exceed that regularly. Is, like he's I just ha- take it personally every time he does something good. I'm just so happy for him. <laughs> I just like my heart grows just a little bit every time he like just has one of those silky, silky smooth, just goes in perfectly, perfectly, especially because he like jumps and turns at the same time and it just looks so good. I'm sorry. I just, I love it when that happens. <laughs> No, and, and that's the thing. It's like it's fun to get excited about production outside of Dame, CJ, and and, and uh-huh. Nurse. You know, like like that was seventy five percent of the Blazers' offense, eighty percent of the Blazers' offense. And if one of them had a had a sideways night, somebody else had to have a heroic effort. Well, now you've got that true third option. When we were talking about the pecking order a couple weeks ago, I said obviously it's Dame and CJ, and then it's likely Rodney. Like White uh-huh. is going to get his touches within the offense, but. Rodney was the guy that I pinpointed. I said, it, it shouldn't be out of the question. The expectation should be that Rodney averages 12 and 5. You know what he's at right now? Something close to that. 14, 14 and 5. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what he should be doing. He's perfectly capable of giving that kind of production night in, night out. Will he have a low uh, uh, a low point night every now and then where he has 7, 8, 9? Sure. But the likelihood is that somebody else is picking that up. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not like Rodney's in a place where he's trying to endear himself to the team. He knows that his role when he's out there and he gets a ball in his hands is to shoot. He's not walking on eggshells. And like, have you seen Rodney hesitate at all in the first three no. games? No. No. And that's, he's free. And they're himself. spinning and too. I just love it. <laughs> yeah. And having a guy who can get his own shot. And we saw it tonight. You, you saw him get down in, in, the, in the mid block against uh, the Mavericks. And it was like, oh, that's two points. Mm-hmm. Like he's got the mismatch. Like you just you just know that. And outside of Damon CJ, in the past, when somebody gets there in the mid late clock situation, you're like uh, you know, you get a little worried. Mm-hmm. And with Rodney, you're like, ah, oh, this is a good this is a good possession. Like let's make, let's make this happen. I think, and that's Ro- that's nice to count and on. Rodney hitting that shot in that four overtime game, I think, just like cemented him in Dame and CJ's mind as somebody that you can count on for a bucket too. You know what I mean? I mean, that was such a crucial bucket that, like, that's going to go down in history as one of the best, I think. But So we're talking about uh, individual players. I want to talk about the uh, 
the first few games of Hassan Whiteside. Um, I wrote about him today in the in my mom's favorite, not because I think mm-hmm. he was perfect at all, but because I think that in the first few games, at least um, I had written when I wrote about it, he played the two games. I thought he showed that he had the capability to do all the things that the Blazers needed him to do. And uh, I was worried that, you know, because of all the chatter in the background, you know, and I, you know, from Miami or whatever, I was worried Mm -hmm. that maybe he wasn't even going to be capable of those things that we need. We need him to guard the paint. We need him to get rebounds. And he did those things. Um, What are your impressions of Whiteside so far And, and his ability to just, and I'm not saying that like, you know, he's going to be this. We know he's not going to be the center of the Blazers future. That's not what the plan mm-hmm. is. But as insofar as his role right now is to hold down the fort, how do you think that's going to go? Right, so there's a couple points to this. <clears throat> the The big one, obviously, is the rebounding. Like the dude is going to gobble up rebounds like there's no tomorrow. And I think one of the undersold points of losing Chief and Harkless, um, those were guys that, they rebounded very well for the position, uh, and they could come in and fill those spots pretty regularly. Uh, Whiteside right now is at, at a rebounding rate of 27%. Uh-huh. Like, More than a quarter is, of the rebounds. Yeah, he is gobbling up everything. His defensive rebound rate is 37%. Uh-huh. That is otherworldly. He is grabbing everything, and he's finishing around the rim. He's He had the little... Uh, pass over the top here, cutting cutting Lillard uh, against mm-hmm. the Kings. That was probably the best pass from him I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's not hyperbole. Like, it was a pinpoint precision pass to a cutter in the right place at the right time in the right spot. Like It was very, very, very good. Um, he's done a good job protecting the paint. He's, he's, a, he's a little jumpy on... Uh, we saw Luca get in tonight with a pump fake kind of step through. I mean, it's Luca. Mm-hmm. He's going to make plays. Uh, he's, he's gone to chase a few blocks... Uh, nothing, nothing crazy. I think he's played within himself for the most part. But again, you're seeing Denver with Jokic and Dallas with KP. Um, bigs that can pull him out and stretch the floor. He does not want to mm-hmm. do it. And again, Yusuf Nurkic doesn't want to do that either. But because he doesn't have that familiarity with the guards or with the wings, uh, what they'll do, what to anticipate, what to expect, he's pretty pretty darn deep and he's kind of really is that why teams uh, are getting so many three points is that because because he's just not gonna leave the basket so they're like oh we have all this yeah. extra room out here out here yeah you you saw for an extended stretch where they were running that pick and roll uh right above the break dead set luca and and Clibert, uh for the Mavs tonight um where they got Whiteside to come up a little bit and they would penetrate to maybe the free throw line and then the, the popper would, would come out. And even if they went to Claver on a short roll, it would kick right back out to Luca. And thank God Luca and KP weren't hitting from three tonight. Neither one of those guys were. That was the only place they weren't affected in that team. That could have instantly turned the tide. So that's one of those things, obviously, that we talked about with the three-point defense. They're going to need to figure out. They're going to need to clean up somehow. Um, but at the rim, he's been pretty damn good. Uh, that in-between spot, though, obviously... There was that clip that floated out there of, of him against Jokic where he just kind of stood there and looked at him and he just shot over him in the mid-post. I thought it was um, so unfortunate that that's what, you know, the, the national NBA audience 
took the from reputation him. Yeah, took from his performance because I thought it was so much more than that. And 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 also one of the things I I went and looked at was um, how how much he was playing because really and it's not an excuse it's just an observation he looked super tired <laughs> you know and well, he's not in game shape he didn't get the plan right season. he's got the bomb and angle. he and he's a huge human being and he had played some pretty long shifts and if you'll remember like those first two shifts he was chasing uh Jokic and playing him one-on-one like very intensely and I thought a lot of it was he got tired and I could tell that he got tired because he stopped putting his arms up because for a lot of the time he put his arms up but by the time that you know it was over like his arms were down and I was like oh yeah. he's tired <laughs> I've seen that before no, the, yeah no and that one play doesn't personify not, him but because of the reputation that precedes him whether fairly or not um, those things are going to be highlighted they're going to be exacerbated and because the Blazers count so much on that one big being so valuable at that position defensively, when he's not where he needs to be or if he's not contesting a shot or if there is a stretch big that's really forcing him to be pulled out, it's going to show, and it's going to show drastically. And this isn't like necessarily a, you know, a, a, a sin that's just you know for him. We've seen Terry Stotts pull Yusuf mm-hmm. Nurkic in games where guys – are pulling him out regularly because guys that are that big, it's very difficult. I need to underscore this enough. It's very difficult for a true seven foot, nearly 300 pound human being like Yusuf Nurkic or Hassan Whiteside to get out there and contest the unicorn, Kristaps Porzingis. Mm -hmm. He's seven foot three. He can pump fake and put the ball down and and go by you. Well, we saw him do it to Zach Collins tonight. He went to the right to left, has he stepped back fadeaway three. Like, that's a hell of a cover for a guy that's that big. I mean, legitimately, Porzingis is giving probably close to 100 pounds to, to Whiteside and Nurkic. It's, like, it, it's that different. It's going to be uh, real interesting considering uh, the some of the centers who are coming up next week. But let's turn to another big man and uh, his performance and also the uh, the injury that Zach Collins mm-hmm. has suffered. So uh, your thoughts on Zach. I thought Zach was look, looked great at the beginning of the season. I thought he, um, you know, we've talked ex- pretty extensively about his shot looking smooth and easy and, you know, not hesitating. I think he's mm-hmm. moving around great. I thought with the first few games, the first two games against Denver and Sacramento, uh, I was... I was on the one hand, I was impressed by the fact that people weren't crashing into each other under the basket. (laughs) But then tonight, people started doing that a little bit more. And I started to realize that uh, when guys are crashing into each other under the basket, it's because they're hungry and they really want it. (laughs) And so I was kind of like, maybe like it's not that we don't want to see any. It's just we don't want to see them like knocking each other out. (laughs) Um, So how do you think uh, in particular Whiteside and Collins have looked together? And uh, what do you think uh, the options are now that we know or assume that with his uh, separated shoulder, Collins is going to miss at least a little bit of time? Yeah, so a couple things. Zach's defense up until his injury has has been as advertised. Defensively, he's been great. Against Denver, he was a one-man wrecking crew. 
taking charges, blocking shots, altering shots, rotating, getting out to guys. He was the one pointing and yelling and clapping and, and just being an absolute nightmarish pest. I loved every bit of it. Sacramento, a lot of the same, although not to the same level because of the, the personnel they use. Obviously, he's, he's spending more time on the Trevor Reeses and Harrison Barnes of the world, but he acquitted himself just well. Um, what's, what's been strange offensively is his shot has looked good inside uh, that mid-range. His three has been make or miss by a mile. It's been <laughs> yeah, real, it's a big it's been really weird. But some real nice like splashes had, too. You're right. Yeah, tonight he had a he had one that missed by like three feet, and then the next one he takes probably two three minutes later and cans it. And the thing was, the one that he missed wildly in the past, you can usually see it. I'm, I'm sitting there with with Joe in the control room tonight. He caught the shot, the kick out on the wing. And I looked at Joe, and I go, that's a good-looking shot. He's got his feet right, everything looks good. And he missed it horribly, and we just kind of looked at each other like, that's a little weird. <laughs> like, normally, you 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 can you know when Zach lets it go, it's like, that's either a make or a miss. So it, it kind of had me scratching my that head. That one tonight was uh, so off that I was at – we had a Women's Hoops and Talks meetup tonight, and the person that I was sitting next to, Lisa <clears> – <throat> Was like she thought that maybe somebody may have tipped it just because it was piece, it was yeah. so off. <laughs> and and that's that's kind of weird for him to have like a good base and the follow through everything to look good and for him to miss like, like I can't recall a time so that's, that was a little little strange. He had one of those against Sacramento as well. It was like uh. the other part of it is I hadn't really seen him working that mid range that we saw. Like there hasn't been a lot of that. Uh, I think part of that is the Blazers are trying to play a little bit faster and they're not necessarily getting in the half court to look for Zach or mm-hmm. they're not giving Whiteside like post-up opportunities, things of that nature. Um, so I, I think that might have partly to do it. And we talked about this going into the season, like where Zach was in the offensive pecking order. He's going to have to be an opportunistic mm-hmm. score. Like they're not going to run anything for him. Um, Did you know Zach have five assists against Sacramento? Yeah, working at that, that pivot point. Making that extra pass. And I think that having that familiarity with where, where guys are supposed to be, knowing the playbook better than other guys, uh, that, that's a good thing for him to be in in that position. Um, his screening is better. It still needs work. Uh, obviously, he picked up the, 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 the moving screen foul tonight. Uh, he's been better about that. His fouling in general has been down for the most part. The three that he got against Denver were a complete joke. Um, those were just, obviously the Will Barton one stands out where literally Zach was just standing there and Will jumps over his pack. And yeah. Zach, Zach rightfully looked at the ref like, what the hell? Yeah. Dude? I'm not sure how <laughs> like, he fouled anybody with, yeah, Will Barton on his back. I thought that the coach's challenge that Stotts did on in Sacramento meant everything. Even though the one against Dallas, like, was pivotal to the game, I mm-hmm. thought uh, Stotts challenging the call against Zach meant everything in Sacramento. I think that was just a huge, a huge boost for Zach. A confidence. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the coach has kind of got his back and I, I don't think Zach has been too reckless. Like he has been in the past tonight against Dallas. He, he had a handful that were like, come on buddy, like jumping at a jump shooter. Um, earlier in the game, uh, Seth Curry got him with a pump fake and instead of jumping into him, he passed it over and I looked over at Joe. I go, if, if somebody gets in like that again, they're gonna they're gonna get him with that. He's got he's got to close out under control on those guys. And uh, obviously, Luca gets him, and it's that call where it's when it's against you, you're like, I hate that <laughs> call. Then when, when when Dame does it, you're like, yeah, three and one, that a boy Dame, you know. Um, 
But for the most part, he's been very good with his verticality. He hasn't really brought his arms down anybody. Uh, he's not reaching for those steals or, or those pokes that you know that, that kind of got him in trouble last year. Um, overall, I, I, I've been thrilled with his production, particularly on the defensive end. I think he's been in, in a great position pretty much all the time. And like I said earlier, the, the big thing is, is when somebody has made a mistake, you know, um, Zach's been the one who's trying to cover up for it. What, for, for better or worse, even the guy's been trying to cover up for it. And that's, there's something to be said for that about the hustle um, that, that you're getting or you, you were getting from him, obviously, before the injury. Yeah. Uh, that's a real bummer. Yeah. So You know that the way, you know, when they grab their shoulder like that, you just know that's just like, you, there's you, a, that only means one thing when they grab their shoulder like that. It is out. But it sounds like they, they've popped it back in and they're going to find out on Monday. MRI tomorrow. MRI, Monday, yeah. Like if there was any other damage. But even that, you know, he's going to miss some time. So what are your thoughts on how Stotts might cover that up? So first thing, I hope Zach's good. I hope it's good news. Um, obviously, if he says he's feeling better after they popped it back in. We can all hope that everything's good. Everything, you know, is, is, is kind of a good news. I talked about this on the show tonight. This is kind of the same situation that, that Myers mm-hmm. felt, found himself in a couple years ago. Um, and Myers opted to kind of play through it and keep it quiet. Um, I, I hope that's not the case with Zach. I hope that they, they just take time and make sure everything's good. Everything, and then this is this isn't like a knock against the organization. This is this is a Myers decision, um, and I, I hope Zach doesn't feel like he has to rush back and put himself in a position where, you know, he needs surgery in the offseason kind mm-hmm. of deal. You know, um, so on, on that front, I hope everything's good. Um, how the team goes from here is gonna be different, right? So I mean, I've been hearing. <laughs> Tolliver, you talked about it on your show tonight, but you know who yeah. my vote is for. Um, yeah, it's, it's right. Not that I would ever have wanted, you know, Scal to get starting times due to somebody else's injury, obviously. Um, but we talked about this. But he's been looking great. If a big got hurt. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. When he's gone out there in his, in his limited minutes, he's been productive. There's no doubt about that. Um, I don't know if I remember if I mentioned this on the pod over the last couple weeks, but the Blazers had toyed with the idea this season of starting Tolliver and and having Zach come off the bench just to give that no doubt floor spacing. Now, <laughs> obviously Tolliver hasn't hit the threes yet this season, um, so that probably sounds a little bit weird. But that was something the Blazers had looked at. So if Terry Stotts doesn't want to disrupt the rotation, that's probably the easy play. Uh, is the plug-in Tolliver. Now, I don't know how well that'll go over against a San Antonio team that's one of the best rebounding teams in the league or a 76ers team that I believe is the best rebounding team right now. Um, obviously, guys, like, a guy like Scal would make a lot of sense there. Um, but it's not. Like, he's going to toy with this. Like, he could start his own yet. Mm-hmm. He could start Tolliver. He could start Powell. I mean, he can go a lot of different ways with it, but... For a Blazers front court that's already paper thin, you're just sitting here hoping like, oh, please, God, pal, get back soon. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, realistically right now they need it. And if, let, God, please, no, I'm, I'm crossing myself right now. If they get bad news with Zach, they're going to need to fill that empty roster spot. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to go get a big. They're going to need to go get a four or five kind of hybrid guy to fill that role. Yeah, it's not the kind of uh, role that Moses Brown is ready to take on just yet. <laughs> no, and really they need somebody that's a little more forward. Right. Well, let's talk about uh, a four. Let's talk about Hazonia and your thought. He Hazonia is a guy that I'm kind of surprised to find that I am 
perfectly happy to have the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is coming from someone who used to, you know, enjoy the Adminu adventure just because of the chaos <laughs> that it created. Uh, Hazonia creates another kind of kind of chaos, but his chaos is at the end of the play. Like, you know, he's going to be able to get it down the court. But my, you know, After that. my thought <laughs> is if Mario has the ball, be ready. It doesn't matter if you're sitting on the bench or if you're underneath the basket. Mario <laughs> has the ball. Hands up. Be ready. Yeah. And. It's weird to say that I think statistically Mario has been a disappointment because he's only putting up four points and what five rebounds and his assists and I mean the Blazers in general assists mm-hmm. are abysmal. Um, and that kind of points to what we were talking about earlier with the, the isolation one on one stuff that we've seen. Um, I think Mario's been effective in certain spots. Um, and he has had tonight. some very nice passes and assists that were part of some of the nicest basketball mm-hmm. that they've played so far. Yes, and, and I think when he's involved and they are pushing the pace and getting getting things going, um, he, he's been good tonight. Uh, he only finished two of seven against Dallas, but uh, I thought his uh, attack off the bounce, getting to the rim, uh, obviously there's not going to be a seven-foot three Porzingis that's waiting for you at the rim every game after you beat three guys. Uh, KP got him at the rim twice, Boston twice, but he also had two other finishes that were or, uh, the pull-up jumper off the pick and roll. And the Euro step that he did finish. Yeah, that was nice. Um, but they, they were they were huge plays. <clears throat> and the, the thing I, I really like from Mario so far is has been his headiness, has been his aggressiveness. I thought the play where he overplayed Luca tonight against Dallas in the closing seconds was a massively, massively underrated play because that took them out of what they wanted to do and allowed Base more to get in there and go for that steal. Mm-hmm. It got them off rhythm and got it got them completely out of what they had hoped to accomplish there. And I don't know if that's a freelance to Mario there and gambling a little bit, or if that was an instruction to overplay that pick and roll. But those little subtle plays, Mario's had a few of those already that have been very, very good um, in certain positions. And, and it's nice to see him kind of continue to keep his head up and stay involved, even though his shot isn't falling. How do you feel, at least in a temporary way, about him alongside Whiteside? I mean, it can work against certain teams, certainly, uh, and, and it, it could put other teams like uh, let's take the 76ers, for example. If they have Horford and and beat out there at the same time, um, tough cover for Mario on the defensive end, but it also puts Horford, who he's a good defender, but it makes it, it's going to force Horford to have to cover in space on another guy who can legitimately pack off the bounce. I haven't. So I, have, that, that could be I haven't seen enough of Tolliver to really know uh, what his defense is like. But Hazonia seems like he has more potential to be like disruptive. Oh, certainly. Tolliver is playing within himself. He moves his feet really well. He anticipates really well. He's a guy who takes a ton of charges. He just he has a, a pretty natural instinct instinct to kind of get to where he knows guys are trying to get to before them, uh, and. Oh, the weird thing is that that guy this year seems to be Anthony Simons. He's drawn, I think, two or three mm-hmm. charges already, mm-hmm. which has been really impressive for a young guard. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one thing for a big to, to do that. It's another thing for a guard to make that rotation, to get there to that spot and make that play. And obviously, he had very limited minutes against Dallas tonight, but that's something, obviously, from Simons, that I think that maybe being around Tolliver rubs off on him a little bit. So, But as far as Sazonia goes, his activity is certainly going to be higher on the perimeter and, and more kind of aggressive and gambling in nature than Tolliver. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let's talk about another energy player who has just been so much fun to watch. Obviously, the I'm talking Kenner about Dragon the Energizer Bunny. Bunny. Was that Isaiah mm. or Nate? That was Isaiah. He came up with that, right? <clears throat> that was Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. No, and we uh, we brought that up on the show the other night and uh, asked Chad doing what he thought of the nickname. He's like, "That's awesome. We're going with that." <laughs> so, we, we I think we've spawned we spawned two so far this year with uh, Coho and the Energizer Bunny. And we've got the ant colony going, uh, as, as Brooke interviewed Anthony tonight and was uh, endorsement of the, uh, the ant colony. So we're, we're doing good here. We're, we're, the, the name generation on the Blazers Edge team is, is doing very, very well. Well, uh, that is quite excellent. But let's talk about how he's been playing. He is just a joy to watch. And he's happy. He is. And he's fast and he has those long arms and he has those long legs and he has timing and he just looks so joyful every time he comes out. Mm-hmm. Although I do love it so much when he does mess up and he slaps his hands together and gets mad at himself. It's just so oh, endearing. It, it is. He's yeah. just, that's the, that's the word for him. He's so endearing. Um, but like, try to like, you know, um, take away just like how charmed I am by him. The basketball that he's been playing seems to be uh seems to be effective again disruptive on the defensive end and then i think was it tonight mm-hmm. where he was starting to uh, things were starting to fall yeah yeah and i think we saw a little bit of that against sacramento uh, obviously the one of seven that he had against denver i think of those seven shots three or four months to go back and watch tape or end of shot clock he had to create the, the, the offense was stagnant he's like all right, I'm the old guy on the floor. I'm the vet. I've got to make sure I find a way to make something happen here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't fall. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. But he, he, he knew what his role needed to be in that situation. I was thinking that I would love his energy with the starting lineup, but then I didn't know who I could take out of the starting lineup. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Right, I mean, right now, you cannot take Rodney Hood out of that. Hood's not like, tall enough to play forward. He's not a... He's not a power forward no. option. No, you, you, no, you couldn't slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, although he probably say had something to say about that tonight after you know jumping with Chris. Yes, that was impressive. Back. He was only two inches or so off of, of getting that, and that's Rodney six six. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's got a decent wingspan, but KP seven three with a wingspan from him. <laughs> like, that's to be able to get up in the air with him. And it was kind of funny because you're sitting there like, because the Blazers can't sub in that situation. So they're trying to discuss who's going to make this jump ball. And they're and like, have this was not a good Rodney, time to go small. <laughs> Mario or Ken. And they all were like, Rod, you got this. Yeah. Like that's, that, I mean, that, you got to feel good about that. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as Kent goes, like just right place, right time. Um, just talking to a few people about Baysmore's defense. Um, the idea of what, does his gambling defensively, his aggressiveness, what kind of impact does that have on the Blazers? Because they haven't had a guy like that in years. Wes was probably the closest they had to it. Even he played within the system. And I'm not saying Kent is out there just freelancing all the time. But he's he's stunting. He's getting up high, getting in the guy's chest, uh, getting through screens that other times I think the Blazers would probably just switch. Mm, he's and sticking with I think them. It takes a, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times that's catching some guys off guard, um, and not and maybe throwing a little bit of a wrench in the in, in the plans as far as rotations and stuff like that. But I think Stotts will live with that because of the disruption that he does cause. And, and this is going to be a, a complete detail here, but 
we talk about his happiness and how happy he looked on the floor. And they'll hear about all the platitudes about, oh, I'm just happy to be here and all this kind of stuff. Talking to these guys and, and, and hearing the guys that are around the team all the time, he's genuinely thrilled to be here. Like, he's, he's like, I'm out of Atlanta where it's a rebuild situation. I want to play with Dame. I want to play with CJ. I want to endear myself. And he's just a, a good dude naturally. And he's just kind of ramping that up to 11. And, it, and it's becoming contagious, not just with his energy, but his attitude. And I think that's contributing to some of these kind of like, you know, quote unquote, winning plays that we see. Mm-hmm. Uh, where guys are hitting the floor, selling out, and going after loose balls and getting aggressive. And I think Kent's a big, big part of that. You know, CJ's a guy who goes to the floor, too. and Did it tonight. Yeah, it was a, you know, hashtag season of CJ seemed like it was going to be off to a slow start. (laughs) Um, But it's starting to burn. And tonight against Dallas, he had a real nice night putting up 35. And I would also add that he was 8 of 8 from the free throw line. So he got to the free throw line. Um, Did not originally in uh, in the first game. and I was like, oh, no, is all the stuff that I said just going to sound absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I was very gratified oh, no. Not again. that he made it to the to the free throw line. And he made his free throws because he did struggle with that at the end of the season. So, uh, you know, we've seen this from, before from CJ that it takes him a little while to get in the rhythm at the beginning of the year. So nice night for him. And he uh, but he does, like I was <clears> saying, <throat> he does go down on the floor. He does. um uh, you know, it seems like he spends a fair amount of time like on the sideline, you know, and then they have to clean up after him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he almost got that pick when uh, he got switched on to Luca early in the clock, and Luca tried to take him off the bounce, and, and CJ saw that Luca left it out there, poked it free, dove for it, tried to get it. It was uh, it was a heck of an effort play, and, and kind of touching on, on CJ's kind of offensive game. To his credit, like he touched on with the free throws. His three-point shooting has not been there. Neither has Dame's. They, they have, they're shooting 29 and 33% from three, respectively. But after CJ had a rough start kind of getting to, or not getting to the rim, but finishing at the rim, tonight against the Mavs with KP in there, he got in there and finished at the rim over KP three, four, five times. And, and it was reminiscent of Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. Lillard didn't have the three-point going against the Kings. So what did he do? He got downhill and attacked and attacked and attacked, not just the mid-range, but the rim, and got himself to the free-throw line and finished in traffic. Those are things that we don't normally associate with CJ. And so for him to be able to shift that gear and be like, okay, I don't have the three-ball going. i got, I got to hit him with more than just the mid-range. And getting to the rim and finishing, that, that could be a big boon if that's something that's there consistent. Mm-hmm. Well, they did uh, talk at the beginning of the summer. I think Jason Quick wrote an article about mm-hmm. how Dame and CJ were sort of trying to add each other's skills to their uh, to their skill sets. And getting to the rack, like you just said, is one of the ones that uh, the Dame is. But if we're going to talk about free throws, we also uh, need to uh, – say that Whiteside has been excellent from the free throw line. He's shooting 80, 83.3. <laughs> Even though every single shot looks like it's never going to have a chance in, you know what, to go in, it goes oh, in. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, the, he has the there, weirdest form. There's more form. hitches there. 
Yeah, no, there's more hitches there than Barkley's golf. Like game. he, like he holds the ball like way out in it's front soft. of him and then pushes it out. It's like he's mm-hmm. pushing it out. It's look, you know what? It looks like the little, um, the little basketball game that they have like at Spirit of Seventy Seven, where you just like lean over the thing and just like push it in like that. That's how it looks like mm-hmm. that he's shooting it, but it's going in. <clears throat> and for yeah, someone and who's as had long a, as that keeps yeah. Up. <laughs> As long as that keeps up, I don't care what it Last year, he was 44.9%. So, yeah. uh, so far, 83.3. So, uh, we shall take it. Yeah, and, and, and kind of go back to CJ here, as far as, like, finishing at the rim. The first three games, he's shooting nearly 60% at the rim. Wow. That's, yeah. But here's the thing. That in-between game, the CJ floater game, he, he's, he's 4 of 16. Hmm. Yeah, that's not so typical. He, he, He'll get that back. No. And that's the thing. is like, uh, uh, can we keep the interior finishing and also yeah. bring back the delicious flow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll get that back. He'll get that back. One of the big differences that I've noticed between Whiteside plays and Nurkic's plays is Whiteside doesn't do the little flip it up thing. Whiteside, when he is putting it back or when he is anywhere near well, it at all, he is going with it with all of his however many pounds he has he's taking it all in he's not flipping it in yeah the, th- the thing about Whiteside when he does finish he does it was something we talked about with Nurkic and his development right is Nurkic would sometimes lean away from the basket Whiteside's size body momentum all that kind of stuff it's always going towards the mm-hmm. rim uh the finishes he had against Sacramento uh he had Dwayne Dedman in the post and he did that little drop step into him and then went with the, the hook over the top like, he's dipping that left shoulder into Deadman's chest to clear the space for that massive paw of his to come over the top. And when he throws a hook, it's not a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sky hook. It's a line mm-hmm. drive into the back of the rim and straight down. Yeah, it's a and, smash. <laughs> yeah, like, everything he does has authority or aggressiveness behind it when he commits mm-hmm. to it. And, and that's the thing that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess about the only person that we haven't really talked about, I think, right now is Ant. I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about Damien, but it just goes to say Damien is, you know, fantastic. He's an MVP candidate. Right. Yeah, that, that, let's, let's, let's leave it at that right yeah, now. Yeah, he's I, fantastic. I hate to kind of gloss over it, but he's been – he's found a way to just dominate entire half of the basket. I'm worried that we're just so used to it, and it's just – it's it's grown so – organically that nobody else in the nation is going to take notice of it. If the Blazers win games, we were talking about this a little bit tonight. If they win games and they finish as a top four, three, two seed and Dame's Mm -hmm. averaging near 37 and, you know, four, they're going to have to look at him because the thing is like the narrative will get behind him and everybody will kind of have this new story and nobody wants to give it to LeBron again. Everybody's completely tired of James Harden. Um, and unless somebody else really goes nuts uh, on a winning team, like Cat's numbers right now are Yeah, he's bonkers. out of, playing out of his mind. He's just incredible right now. But are the Timberwolves going to be there in the end? I mean, that's, that's going to be the question, right? Um, Maybe this is finally the year of the Timberwolves. <laughs> after all those years of us always thinking that it was going to be the Timberwolves and them never doing it. And now that we've like watched the other way, okay, we're done. Yeah. (laughs) But Dane's going to have the narrative and the, in the box score numbers behind to look good as long as they're winning. Um, but let's shift gears to Ant. Uh, game one had 
a bit of the jitters that he emitted didn't look great. Defensively, he's been good in all three games. I, I think he's, like I said, he's taken charges. He's gotten a few steals. He got the steal where he got in the open, in the transition for his first dunk. Um, there, there was a lot of things that were I, I like to see on that end of the floor. Uh, game two, Sacramento, he helped them win that yeah, game. Yeah, that was beautiful. His uh, he, 15 he went, points, or he had 12 yeah, it, and a quarter. Yeah, he just went bonkers in a five-minute period. And, and that's the, when we talked about something this season, I said, who's the, who's the guy that's most likely to have a takeover game outside of Dane and CJ? It's him. Because when he gets hot, he is like Dame and CJ and, and, mm-hmm. and, and those kind of guys. He's got a lightning-quick release that he can get off from anywhere. Um, tonight, I don't think necessarily that it was any fault of his own, uh, although the full-court pressure pickup where he turned the ball over to start the second half wasn't great. Um, obviously when he came, when he came in in the second half, um, but I think CJ and Hood were cooking so much, and Dame obviously is Dame that his minutes got squeezed in, and he's not a veteran where you get you go, oh, you know what, I got to find a way to get him on the floor. Yeah, it kind of seems like sort of due to his youth and inexperience. If the Blazers are playing a team that has superstars, it's going to be mm-hmm. hard for him. Um, it's it's going to be a little yeah. overwhelming for him to figure out all the things that you have to keep track of all at once um, if you're still new at it. Yeah, these are his first rotation minutes. But here's the thing. We talked about this. With Ant, you're going to get the variance. You're going to have the nights where you're like, nah, did Ant really play tonight? But on the flip side of that, you're probably going to have Baysmore or Hood or Herzonia or one of the other guys step up and have a, a decent enough night. Or when Ant's getting minutes, it's because he's out there getting buckets. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's like it's not hard for me to be able to see him be a guy who averages double figures off the bench because when he does get out there, he's gonna get looks, he's gonna get opportunities, and he's gonna knock them down. Yeah. Oh, like what, what, what have been your takeaways? Well, you know, I I saw what you said about him being able to just heat up, and there will be games where he goes off for twenty, and then there will be games where he's not really, um, you know, where he's got four. impacting yeah. the box score, um, but. He he never looks lost. Sometimes he looks a little hesitant, like he's not sure which way to choose. But he never looks mm-hmm. like he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it's just it just I I think you have to make so many decisions. I can't imagine how many decisions you have to make, you know, simultaneously out there. And he's just not mm-hmm. used to it. He just doesn't have those muscle those like thinking muscles developed yet. And mm-hmm. you know, not having played in the high pressure college situation, you know. It's, I think that's probably going to take a little bit of time for him to catch up to everybody, but I absolutely think he will, and I think everybody on the team knows that he will as well. The thing that I worry about right now is, you know what Damon and CJ are getting minutes-wise per I'm game? I'm going to guess a lot. A, a high 30s? Th- 37. Oof, high 30s, okay. Both of them are 37. Mm-hmm. This is, and you wonder why. They need to give Anthony some more. They do, and, and not just for Ant's sake, for Damon mm-hmm. and CJ's sake. And and this is we talked about this often, the idea of declaring a championship team, the pressures that come with that, the, the little things that come with that. You don't allow yourself, you know. Hey, we need to give Ant some more minutes here because you know we, we need to get Damian CJ off the floor. Like they're they're getting some heavy heavy minutes. But when you say, hey, we're a championship team, and you don't necessarily have the depth that you can truly commit to then you have to sit there and go, well, you know, we have to win this game. And, and every game is a, a must-win, you know, in the NBA. But that that external slash internal pressure of, hey, no, we are this team, 
and we've declared this, we need to back this up. I think that's where it can get a little bit dicey uh, as, as far as um, how the menace distribution kind of comes out. And not just for, for Ant, because right, right now, um, Bazemore is getting 26. That's a few more minutes than I thought he was going to get. Um, but still kind of about what I expected, but Dane and CJ both being at 37 seems awfully hard. Yeah. You know, I feel like with the, especially the last two games, you know, Sacramento and Dallas, it's early in the season, but they know they have to come out strong because the West is going to be so tight. I feel like with Anthony and also Hazonia, you know, the last couple of games, you know, they. St- I think that there's still time for them to develop so that they could potentially take on some more of those minutes from Damon CJ. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to go down to like 32, but maybe it goes down to you know 34, 35. What would you yeah, prefer I mean, to see them playing? I'd like to see Damon CJ at 32. Mm-hmm. I- I'd like to see him both mm-hmm. right, right about that. Like, I mean, because here's the thing: like Dame works damn near harder than anybody in the league to get his own shot. Mm-hmm. In, and that's kind of been true throughout throughout his entire history in the league. Um, he he doesn't often get the um, elite athlete, you know, quick twitch deer and fox explosive. Dame's first step is probably one of the five fastest in the league. Like he's an explosive athlete, and for him to and not not just that, his ability to, to decelerate. We've talked about mm-hmm. that a lot. Like coming off a pick and coming to a complete stop. Like those kind of things that he makes look so easy. That's a ton of effort and when you're doing that for extended minutes over these long road trips to start the season i'm like oh man and you're right the probably minutes probably do come down but as as good as the kings are or were pegged to be and the mavericks are looking better these are the kind of opponents that you're hoping maybe you can get those guys to rest a little bit, right? I, I just don't know at the beginning of the season if you can count on that for anyone because just nobody knows what these teams are going to be like. I mean, look at Phoenix. I mean, there's there's no <laughs> Phoenix and Minnesota. There's no sure, teams right now, and there's there's no games where if you can taste the win, you can't be like, well, but we got to play our guys. You know, you, you have to go for it. You have to, uh, you have to give it your all. But once, you know, there's more tape to watch on teams, there's more chance to, you know, get to know the playbooks and there's more time for strategy. I think that's where maybe we can get a few minutes shaved off of those guys. I don't know, but we should we should uh, preview the games that are coming up and then wrap mm-hmm. it up here. It's so fun to talk about basketball. Oh my god, so I'm just so back. glad. Just, yeah. We were um, we had uh, like I said we had the women's hoops and talks meet up last night and just like the overwhelming feeling is it was just like we were all just so glad to be back there. And um, mm-hmm. I want to shout out we had one of our listeners was there, uh, John, his wife Michelle, and their baby Moby came, and Mo- awesome. Moby had the cutest little blazer booties that you've ever seen in your life and we all just cooed over him and his booties and I I put a um a picture of him he was crying because he was very upset about the Blazers defense um but it got better and I will tell you that Moby also cheered up after uh the Blazers <laughs> got their got their defensive act together as, as any good Blazer fan should and, and uh, on the Blazer booty note uh obviously Travis Summer is the, the voice of Trailblazers now he's got a young son Lincoln he got him um, baby Jordans, mm-hmm. which might be possibly <laughs> the cutest shoes I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, they're, 
they're all black with it with a they're a black and silver colorway and, and like they look so good that Travis and I look like where, where, where can we yeah. find <laughs> like <laughs> I want these in my size. Well, uh, Dame Junior's shoe collection is amazing. Yes. He has an amazing <laughs> shoe collection. Actually, the kids, the Blazer kids, are um, a pretty uh, adorable group. I mean, yeah. the the kids at Rodney Hood's party were like going off and having a great time. Uh, you know, Bazemore's little guy his with his little yeah. Bazemore coat. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's an adorable group. There's no doubt. About yeah, it. but the Blazers' next game, uh, they they welcome a familiar nemesis. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, who uh, has been uh, really good to start the season. Man, that guy is just... 25 and 9. Just remains absolutely <laughs> solid. He's shooting like 60% from the floor. <sighs> like he's, yeah, no. I, I the, the people who, uh, when it was talked about this summer of LaMarcus possibly going back to Portland, they're like, ah, oh, he's, he's, I don't know if he's still got it. Folks, He's going to have it for probably yeah. five He's going to be one like, of those guys that plays until he's 38, 39. He's going to be just like Dirk mm-hmm. in the sense, like, his game isn't going to age. He's still going to be able to take anybody he wants down the block and go get buckets and shoot over the top of them. Like, it's, it's, that's never going to change. DeMar DeRozan is doing his thing, but the big story here, and it's probably going to be the story of the season for the Spurs, is Deontay Murray. Obviously, he, he shreds his knee opening night last year. It is out for the year. Um, I, I had him pegged as, as a breakout player last year, and it's not going to change this year. He's a defensive stalwart, uh, an elite-level athlete, preternatural defensive instincts. He's, he's a legitimate all-NBA caliber defensive player in the making. Um, but he's also averaging 19 a game and shooting 60% to start the season. Dang. Like that, so yeah. he's uh, he's back. He's yeah, not no, easing he's back not, in. He's back. No. No, and he's not a shooter. And here's the thing. He's averaging 19 a game, and he's only playing 23 minutes. And granted, wow. it's only been two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will be the third that the Spurs have, obviously, against the Blazers. So, um, But he's a guy that's, that's very good. Uh, and I have him in my, my ladder for most improved players. I believe I picked him second. Um, this year, he, he's he's a stud. Um, Bryn Forbes, who Damian Lillard loves to see. <laughs> Remember last year, they uh, they played fine Bryn Forbes, and Dame just continued to torch him. Um, is also shooting lights out right now, shooting fifty percent from the field and almost fifty percent from three on eighteen points a night. So, what um, are going to be the Blazers' keys to beating these guys? This is a weird Spurs team. Um, they, God, they're averaging one hundred and twenty-two points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you got LaMarcus at 25, DeMar at 20, Murray at 19, Fre- uh, Forbes at 18, Gay and White are both averaging 10, and little old Patty Mills is, is only getting 17 minutes a night because he's getting pushed out of the lineup by Murray, Forbes, and, and Derek White. Derek White's a, a bit of a combo guard forward who is obviously with his time with Team USA and and, and, and Pop being involved there is, you know, they, they're... He, he was spectacular for the team this year, even though they, they underperformed. Um, White was kind of a bright spot. So the, the, this is a team that everybody just kind of looks at and they're like, oh, they're, they're seventh in the West. It's like, this is a team that can easily be fourth or fifth. Like, the Lakers don't have depth. The Warriors are ugh, awful. Uh, the Jazz are struggling to everybody's surprise. Like, not just struggling, but struggling. struggling. Um, don't say everybody. 
not included. Well, okay. Uh, I know you were sick of the jazz before the jazz was thing, all right? Hip, hipster jazz hater, terrible and big. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll take all the credit. But, but, but keys to beating San Antonio, not where they're going to finish. How are the Blazers yeah, no, going to beat them? I, I, I get it. But this is, it's a, because it's, it's the same at San Antonio Mirror, as ever. It's like, you just, all you can do is just go in and do your best and yeah, cross you your fingers and hold your sure. breath and hope that it gets over with quickly. Yeah. Like it's, it's a Greg Popovich I'll take that. with an all-star power forward, an all-star wing and a hell of a supporting cast. Like it's, it's just, God, I'm so sick of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> like the love of God, can you, can you draft a bust once in a while? Please. Um, but yeah, they're going to put a ton of pressure on the Blazers' backcourt. It'll be interesting to see how Damian Lillard does against Deontay Murray. Um, I, I think this is going to be... Jamal Murray is a, a speed bump to Damian Lillard. In fact, the, the, the Nuggets tried not to let Jamal Murray guard Damian Lillard at all costs. De'Aaron Fox okay. took on the challenge, but that's that's an uneven matchup. Today. So far, San Antonio has played Washington and the New York Knicks. So let's not worry too much just yet. All those things I, that I, you've said doesn't mean they're they're not true, but also they haven't yes. played the most stellar competition yet. No, but do you think that the Blazers, particularly missing Zach Collins, are going to have a great answer for Lamarcus Aldridge? I don't know. I haven't seen enough yet. <laughs> and I, I, I know you're optimistic, and I love scouts. Lamarcus <laughs> is a Hall of Fame power forward who just gets buckets like there, there isn't a whole lot you have to or maybe they yeah maybe game. they just let him get as many buckets as he gets and they just block off and everybody you force else the other, and you force the other guys to beat you certainly that's something the Blazers can do okay uh, it'll be next. interesting yeah that one that's the the the, the Damian Lillard bugaboo right mm, I Chris Paul I think that Damian Lord's <laughs> going to be able to exercise that one. Please, for the love of God, I'm tired yes. of it. Because <laughs> CP3 has been the one thing that Damian just hasn't been able to conquer. Like, and this isn't just me. Like, oh, if Dan was a hyperbole, just go look at the head-to-head matchups. If it's just if at this point Damian Lillard can't defeat. Chris Paul in a one-on-one matchup from here on out. If he can't do that, then he is not every what I've always thought one. he was. No, every player has one of these guys. Okay, well, it, it can't be Chris Paul that... anymore. Maybe it was him Let, in the past, but it can't be him in the future. Let's let's hope so. The the, the flip side of this is uh, they've got Gallo, who is a guy who's notoriously done very well against the Blazers. Stephen Adams and Shea Gilgis has, has been f- fantastic for the Thunder so far. Perhaps the Thunder are one of those teams that we all kind of counted out and were like, well, they may not be a playoff team, but they may not be like a 25-30 win team. Um, well, So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays The beauty out. of the beginning of the season is you can't uh, count anybody out. You have to you have to do your this best to Nobody's pay eliminated just what's yet. ahead. Of, you know, so all you can do is play who's in front of you. If, you, if you're the Knicks and Wizards, you can, you can go. And <laughs> yeah, and that's who San Otherwise, Antonio just yeah. played. Uh, so, But OKC, without... Um, I mean, they've, so do you think, you know, Whiteside versus Steven Adams will cancel each other out? How do you uh, think that'll look with the center matchup? That's the one I'm kind of that, most interested in for all of these. Well, honestly, I'm interested in both these games for Whiteside because now we're not necessarily dealing with that five that's going to step out and pull you out the entire game. Adams wants to be at the rim mm-hmm. on both ends. Um, will Steven Adams set picks and, and, and roll? Yeah, that'll, that'll put Whiteside in a comfortable position. Same with Lamarcus. 
LaMarcus isn't going to step out and, and knock down threes all game. He may occasionally step to the corner and, like, nah, well, and then he kind of creeps in like, I want to go to the post. Just let me you go know? back to my happy place. <laughs> let me get to my left block and let me go to work, man. Um, so I, I think those are going to be, I think the, the, the extremes for Whiteside obviously are, are Denver and, and Dallas. I think those are, are bad matchups in, in that sense of Jokic going, you know what? I don't want to bang with you. I'm going to stay out here. You come out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, KP the same way. Uh, and so if Whiteside performs well in those situations, you're like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to have to help figure out this whole stretch five thing, right? Uh, or, you know, don't live with the results and make sure that the, the stretch five is the one that beats you every night. Um, but uh, the Spurs game to me is, is the bigger one as far as the measuring stick goes overall. Mm-hmm. Because they're the most complete team that I think that they've played other than Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, top to bottom, they can beat you in, in multiple different plays, uh, multiple different places. They've, they've got a lot of different personnel that can kind of plug and play in different spots. There's a lot of roster flexibility. Uh, the Clippers, or Clippers, the, the Thunder. God, I said Clippers because of Chris Paul. <laughs> Oof. Wow, you're two like teams a ago, few Dan. years behind. Two teams ago. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the Thunder... Um, they're a team that's also trying to come together. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul, Shea, Gallo, trying to integrate that, you know, with, with what's left. <laughs> yeah. And Adams is kind of like John Travolta in, in, in Pulp Fiction looking around like, uh. Yeah, it's it's hard to okay. know what to make of them because it's hard to know what they're going to look like by the end of the year, where they want to yeah. go. They have that, you know, huge stash. Stockpile of, of draft um, picks. Yeah, of uh, draft picks to use. Like, how well do they want to be doing? Have they decided yet? Is Chris Paul just going to sit there and just be mad no matter what kind of decision they make? <laughs> who knows? But the final game... Who breaks first? Chris Paul or Draymond? Who what? Who breaks first? Oh, Chris Paul. When it comes... When it comes I, you see Draymond's interview today? Um, I have not watched it. Oh, boy. He, he looks like he's about three days from breaking. Yeah. <laughs> it's... His exact his exact phrasing when they asked him, you know, you know, how does it feel to be on the other end of this? Was this sucks, <laughs> and I didn't know it was gonna be this bad. And he had this look on his face, like haunted. God, Somebody save me! Get me out of here! Save me now! <laughs> this is terrifying. Um, I don't know if Chris Paul's reached that level yet, but then again, he hasn't been that successful in his career, so... Yeah, hard to know. <laughs> the, the last game that we should uh, br- preview briefly before we mm-hmm. head out is uh, Philadelphia. The biggest one. I'm looking forward to that one. That's the the Blazers will be back home Ooh. for Philadelphia, so they're on the road for San Antonio and OKC. They'll be back home for Philadelphia. It's going to be really interesting to see how Whiteside looks against Embiid. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully Powell's back then because it's Embiid and Horton. Do you think that uh, Powell, have you heard anything about him being able to be back soon after the road trip? So the the, 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 the scuttlebutt, I'll tell that, is Powell's on this trip and going through warm-ups trying to get, trying to get a feel for things in hopes that by the end of the trip, he's ready. Okay. Um, so obviously that's, what, a week out? Next Saturday? Yeah, so it's a little less than a week out. Um, Stotts' rule has typically been you got to go through a practice before you uh, before you get one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, does, with Powell, does that qualify? Like, does he have like a, a limited amount of minutes in his basketball career? Do you want to you want to run him through practice, or you know, do you trust him to kind of go out there? Uh, I, they need the body. They need the big body, particularly for that game. Uh, it's it's a it's a big team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess we'll uh, 
that's a tough one because we'll know more tomorrow after the MRI. We'll have a better idea of, I mean, although the Blazers, you know, don't usually give a lot of information, but perhaps, perhaps, (laughs) but perhaps we'll know whether or not it's a three week versus eight to 12 weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be. And here's the thing. It could be either. It's going to be a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. At least. Like, like. The shoulder came out of the socket. Mm-hmm. It had to be reset. Yeah. Do you, can Things you have been stretched that need to yeah. heal. Like, if, can you think of any time anybody's come back from something like that in, in less than two weeks? Well, I mean, I've watched Lethal Weapon a number of times, and Mel Gibson... Everybody keeps talking about Mel Gibson! Well, he can just <laughs> slam his uh, his thing Shoulders back into the wall, the wall yeah. and then get back to beating bad guys. So uh, I don't know why Zach Collins isn't there, but whatever. I guess they have to protect okay, the investment. So I, I didn't mention this on the show on the show because I didn't want to get completely roasted. I did kind of the same thing playing lacrosse, and I fully channeled Lethal Weapon. I in taking a shot, I got my arms caught up in between two other sticks. The stick kept going. My arm fell down. Like, left shoulder, completely limp, and I kind of played it off. I was playing indoor lacrosse. I went over to this big steel support beam in one of those indoor buildings. For anybody in Portland, the, the Middleman Jewish Community Center, if you've ever been in there, it's an indoor field. There's big steel support beams, and I went up and, like, felt, like, pull and reset and slam my shoulder into it. Didn't work. <laughs> Didn't work one bit, and it just hurt like hell. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm like, why? Why did I think this would work? And... Oh my god! I can't stop laughing. <laughs> it was so bad, and I was like, "This is one of the worst life choices I've ever made." <laughs> Screw you, Mel Gibson! And like, I think I just made it way worse. And I was like, "Oh dear God!" And one, it was an adult men's league. I was home on leave. And uh, I had thankfully one of the, the other players is also a physical therapist. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? And I explained to him, he's like, you're a dumbass. <laughs> he pulled me to the side. He's like, you're sign- You're like verbally signing a waiver. I'm like, dude, just do it. And he helped reset it then and there. And he's like, you need to go get this looked at. And then he's like, don't mention the part where you try to put it back in by slamming and it's a steel pool. Because you watched Lethal Weapon. (laughs) Okay, so So... everybody who's listening to the podcast can go ahead and roast you for this. And I so hope that they do. (laughs) If anyone's still listening, we've gone on quite a while tonight. But you know what? We're just so excited. Basketball's bad. We're so excited. But we should wrap it up here. Anything else you want to say about Philadelphia before we close this out? No, I, I think that's it. it is, like, I'm not, for all of the negatives and all the positives, I'm not getting too high or too low on a lot of things. I'm giving I'm giving things time before I go, okay, that's a real problem. Like, there are certain things with this team right now, defensively, that, being fully honest, I'm, I'm worried about. But I also need to see them get through a month of basketball and kind of, that's that's kind of like the, the prerequisite that, that, that I went into the season with. You get a month. After a month, then it's like, okay, we, we need to start figuring things mm-hmm. out. So uh, I'm not too high. I'm not too low. But um, I have concerns. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know I don't know exactly where you're sitting, but um, there are certainly some questions that I have uh, pertaining to where this team is at right now and where they need to be. Well, I would have concerns if you didn't have concerns. I mean, this is a team that is integrating, <laughs> you know, a ton of new players 
yeah. you know, the people who had the most minutes, Damon, CJ, are there, but everybody else is brand new. I mean, we knew, we all knew this was going to happen. But what we kept well, saying... did we all know? Well... Not, not, not that you didn't know. I'm just saying it is the general consensus is that this team would kind of get rolling real quick. Well, I'm not sure about that, but... Um, realistically people people did know that this was going to be quite a different roster and after years of continuity you know we could you know hope that there was going to be some miraculous oh my god this was the perfect chemistry you know everybody's going to get it from day one but that was not ever probably seriously a you know huge possibility but the one thing that we have said is that it's going to be interesting and the one thing that i can say that i have enjoyed about the just three games that i've seen so far is the energy around it you know we had gotten used to what the blazers were supposed to look like and they look different right now the basketball looks different the plays look different i don't know you know the players who were doing the plays i don't know what play is going to come next because they haven't had this combination on the court before, but it's interesting and it's energetic. And, you know, if Bazemore's going to go to the floor and come up with a smile on his face, if Rodney Hood's going to be hitting shots, and if all these things are going to happen while the rest of it is working itself out, I am like totally fine with it. I am just so glad that it's You're back. On board. Yes. <laughs> What else? You got anything else? No, I think let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, Like Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, we just had our first Women's Hoops and Talks, and our second Women's Hoops and Talks is going to come actually really soon. So if anybody wants to uh, get in on that – oh, shoot, I don't have the – date in front of me so i'm gonna look it up while you talk um about what you've got coming up <laughs> so you go ahead and then that, i'll come that, right that, back that works for me yeah. uh as always folks you can find myself joe simons on nbc sports northwest following every game for the hour-long post-game show on blazers outsiders on social media at bmarang at b-m-a-r-a-n-g and as you've noticed uh the show is just joe and i now um so when we are we don't have facebook live that's something that's Corporate entity stuff. We're, we have to go different avenues. So we're trying to, to keep that same energy as far as getting you guys all involved. And we, we, we love having um, questions, comments, anything kind of come into the show. So when you see those tweets come up from NBC Sports Northwest that, that Joe and I are retweeting, if you have questions, if you have comments, please reply to them because like we want to get them into the show. We want to get your feedback. The, the, the part of the show is, is is certainly about engagement and, and getting the pulse of the fans. So um, we've, we've had a, a good a good push so far, uh, and please keep that up. Uh, other than that, uh, we will be heading out to the Rialto here in December. So if you guys want to come uh, on location, we're getting kicked out of our studio because of the KGW Toy Drive. So we'll be doing that again. So if you guys want to come down there and hang out and watch a show with us, uh, pretty much for most of the month of December, we'll be down at the Rialto again. But other than that, that's all I got. Uh, you, you got a date? I did. I found it like five minutes ago. Hey. So <laughs> our, our next Women's Hoops and Talks meetup is going to be on Tuesday night, November 12th. That's going to be uh, against Sacramento. And if anybody wants to look at all of the dates that we've got scheduled for those meetups, they are pinned to my Twitter profile, which is at TCBBigs. 
So you can follow me there. You can also follow the Hoops and Talks podcast. We'll have another episode coming out on Thursday. You can follow Blazer's Edge at Blazer's Edge. And you can find both the weekly podcast, this one that we're doing right now, and the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast in the Blazer's Edge podcast feed. So please, if you haven't already, subscribe using whatever podcast catcher you use. Rate us, review us, do all of those wonderful things. And I think that is going to be about all. So thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Go Blazers. Bye.